I'm Carrie Ann. And I'm Allison. And this is Podcast Without an Audience. Where two friends pick two topics and find intersections. Or not. Or not. We are rounding out, like, it's July. Pride month is over. Pride month is over. How was your month? It was so good. I watched so many queer movies. Uh. Um, I watched a ballet about deconstructing gender in ballet. Oh, cool. Um, very cool. I'll have to share it with you. So Awesome. We I'm going to call it a win. The whole I month was a big so. win. We had so many people sharing like what they were watching or listening to or reading. reading. That was super cool. So thank I you know. guys so much. Like the support has been so overwhelming. And we're constantly going to be posting those on Instagram and on our Instagram stories and yeah, um, and my book list has gotten so much longer since we've heard back from so many people. Yes! I mean, my book list is always growing, but I'm especially excited for some of the new recommendations. Absolutely. And we did not get a chance to watch Brokeback Mountain, but... I mean... There's always time. We did, however, go back and rewatch. But I'm a Cheerleader because... And Fried Green Tomatoes. <laughs> Absolutely. If you haven't, if you're living under a rock and you have not listened to our first cult bonus episode where we cover But I'm a Cheerleader, you are missing out. Go check it out. Send us all the pictures of the things that you have that... uh, Look, for your cooter corner? Yep, for cooter corner. (laughs) Cooter corner, hashtag cooter corner. Uh, How has that not been sweeping the nation? (laughs) (laughs) It just um, swept through my apartment, for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's very um, feminine. Do you know what I mean by feminine? <laughs> <laughs> uh, my favorite thing about living in North Carolina and Pride season is that while rainbow capitalism is over, like Target's mm-hmm. line will be coming down soon. Bed Bath & Body Works. <laughs> we'll be, you know, just continuing all their rainbow products. North Carolina's Pride isn't until this fall, so we actually have an extended Pride season. It's We've not got more just time. June. We get to celebrate until I think early October is when the last one is in North Carolina. We'll still be talking about it. Stay tuned. I mean, really, what else do we talk about? I don't know, but we talk we I mean, history and psychology <laughs> and gay shit. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But, um, and also thank you so much for all the feedback we got on that first um, episode, our Pride episode, specifically from allies and, you know, straight allies and cis and allies. Queer folks. It was so, so awesome. I, I love all of our Teamsters. I love everybody. I yeah. love my topic for this week. Oh, I have to tell you, um, so my, as we've talked about in previous episodes, one of our dearest friends is one of my dance teachers. Mm-hmm. And I showed up um, just after our Pride episode was released. And their entire music selection for that night was Pride. Yay! Like, we started with Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga. And, uh, like, the song I'm Coming Out and, like, all the other queer music that you could hope for. Love it. That currently escapes me. So, <laughs> all of them. But it was great. So much fun. I love that. I know. Yay! Let's just keep it going. Let's keep the positivity going. I'm really excited about my topic. It's dark. It's kind of dark, but like, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it just is. Cool. Mine is not. Mine is really light and cheery. Okay. I'm super excited about it. Okay. Um, so let's get into it, right? That's what we're here for. Let's do it. Cool. So, Uh, My topic was kind of inspired by a book I read for my office. We have a book club at work. Mm -hmm. um, And we read the book Leaders Eat Last. And in Leaders Eat Last, we talk a lot about the brain and how the brain works and what motivates people. And one of the things that motivates people is the little happy chemicals in your brain. Yeah. So happy hormones. We're going to be talking about the four happy brain chemicals. (gasps) Dopamine, oxytocin serotonin oxycontin and endorphins yay oh good oh we're bringing it up oh i love it yeah so we're going to talk about all the cliche happiness um all the things that you can do to be happier Mm -hmm. endorphins Um, make you happy happy people just don't shoot their husbands we i already have written that into my notes so i'm glad (laughs) that we're on the same page here um 
What I think is really interesting about these four happy chemicals is we know the old cliche, you know, happiness is about the journey, not the destination. Mm. It's not about arriving at a place where you're happy. It's about experiencing happiness along the way, Mm -hmm. which is actually very true. Mm. There are things you can do to improve your overall sense of well-being, but happiness as it relates to the chemicals in your brain only drive positive emotions throughout the day. So, like, you don't get to a place where you have more serotonin all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, you can. Like, there are things you can do to promote serotonin in your body. But it's really about experiencing those happy chemicals in and out of each day. Mm -hmm. So, um, I wanted to cover this topic not only because I think it's fun to think about these things and talk about them, but also because a lot of people, myself included, struggle with anxiety and depression and other mental health stuff. And while these happy chemicals have become increasingly part of our lexicon, most people use them interchangeably. And I think it's important to learn what each one is and how you can better um, understand what your needs are based on the types of happiness that you're experiencing. Oh, yes. So we're going to talk about all the types of happy. I I needed this. Yeah, it was good for me to research it and to like really reflect on what I've been needing lately Mm -hmm. so that when I show up with my friends or show up even with myself in journaling, I can really reflect on what I'm experiencing and not just say, well, I had a happy day or I was, you know, joyful today. I felt good when. Right. But taking in those moments and really recognizing them. I love it. Let's sit in that. Yeah. Let's just stay there. Let's live in that time. Except I feel like you're going to bring us down. When it's your turn. Oh, yeah. That's my job. (laughs) That's what history is for. (laughs) Um, So, for example, like a hug you get from a friend is very different than the feeling of accomplishment after hiking to the top of the mountain. Right? Right. Yeah. Like those, you could say that you were happy at both times. Right. But what's actually going on Mm. in your brain? In my brain. So we're going to start with with dopamine. Okay. So dopamine is... pretty dope pretty dope it's your short-term happiness okay so it's like your one hitter like mm. you get a quick hit of dopamine and then you're off to do something else a little bump yeah <laughs> dopamine is that little boost you get when someone likes your post on instagram or you complete a small task like whenever all of the dishes in my sink are clean mm. which never fucking happens <laughs> yeah. but should they all be clean one day i'll get a nice little rush of dopamine little boop boop it's like drinking a Red Bull that lasts for just a moment, but it's enough to enough of a push to get you going. Mm-hmm. So the purpose of dopamine is to get your body moving towards um, a distant goal, just one step at a time. Mm. So this is why, uh, like making your bed first thing in the morning, is actually really productive. It's not you know, just because you want to come home to a nice bed, you've accomplished something first thing in the morning, you've checked one thing off of your to-do list, and it makes everything else a little bit easier. Sure. Um, Dopamine enables your motivation, learning, and pleasure. Mm -hmm. So the downside of dopamine is that it's highly addictive, and it's proven to be closely tied to bad technology habits. Um, apps and websites are meant to be addictive they're designed to give you these little hits of dopamine whenever you scroll through or see something Um, they're designed to keep you on them for as long as possible and dopamine effects don't last very long so Mm. for example um, if I post on my Instagram story and um, you know tag you in that post now you and I are both experiencing little hits of dopamine Every time someone else goes and looks at that post or mentions us in a post, mm-hmm. um, mentions the pod, like I get a big hit of dopamine every time I see, you know, that someone has tagged us in something because that's really cool and it's exciting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but it's just long enough to get you to check another social media platform or check, you know, again in five minutes because you want to see if something has changed. When you're lacking dopamine, you may procrastinate more experience a lack of motivation, have low energy or fatigue, struggle with focus or feeling anxious. I mean, kind of all the things that you experience when you do unplug for Mm -hmm. a while. Yeah. One question I had about dopamine was how it relates to burnout. So Mm -hmm. I've been experiencing some burnout with work. 
Mm-hmm. And a lot of our jobs are about these little wins. Mm-hmm. So these little ho- hits of dopamine get us onto our ne- next task. Right. Like if I have a really productive meeting, then I'll have a little hit of dopamine and I'm like, okay, well, I am ready to move on and start doing X, Y, and Z for these other cases that I'm on. And when you're feeling burnt out, do- you're just not experiencing the dopamine hit. So what comes first? Like the lack of dopamine to get you going or the burnout that um, like contributes to not experiencing or not getting enough dopamine. And what I found was that burnout symptoms can be one cause of dopamine depletion. So usually burnout happens first and then mm-hmm. your dopamine Well, it softens the, the satisfaction, yeah. right? Yeah. So if you're able to, you know, have a daily to-do list and check some things off, develop long-term goals, exercise regularly, create something, get good sleep or, you know, listen to music and have these little hits of dopamine throughout the day, then you're more likely to be productive. Like I mentioned earlier, I've been focusing on finding these little moments when I'm really happy and naming them Mm -hmm. and thinking about like who I'm around when I'm feeling really happy or what am I doing? What's going on around me? And then naming it. Mm -hmm. And I've been super social recently, which is normally very draining for me. But yesterday I was sitting at a brewery with a few friends and I had this moment of just, I'm feeling really happy and I named it. And I think that that's really important for dopamine is recognizing just that little moment of, you know, I've done this one thing, I've gone out and been social with friends, and it's giving me just this little push to keep going. Music also does that. So, like, do you have a playlist that you listen to that lifts your mood or anything? Like, you personally? Yeah. Listen, Hanson does it all. (laughs) No, I don't know. I mean, I love listening to Hamilton. Yeah, Hamilton's a good one. I mean, the songs are s- sad as shit. But Wait for it is the best one. Yeah, that's I like agree. a really good like. That's what I've been listening to lately. When I'm like, I need a little bump of the dopamine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but I def music for sure. It yeah. definitely correlates with mood. And one of the recommendations was to create a playlist of songs like on Spotify that. Uh, gives you those little bumps of dopamine Mm. just so that whenever you're needing them you can like automatically have them already set up for you and ready to go and hopefully that will motivate you through the rest of whatever your next task is i think that music also has an interesting effect where like despite the lyrics of the song it can make you feel something different i remember a snow patrol song uh-huh. Making me feel so alive, like, as a youth. <laughs> you know, and it was, like, sad and, like, shit. But I was like, oh, my God. Like, I'm feeling yeah. all kinds of stuff. So I don't think it has to do necessarily. It, everybody's is going to be unique to them. Yeah, I completely agree. And kind of like you, it's less about the lyrics and more about the music for mm-hmm. me. Like though, the actual, like, notes. Right, yeah. Um, though... I think that part of the little hits of dopamine I get are as it relates to knowing every word to a song. Like that feels really satisfying for me when I can sing along and know every single word, especially Mm -hmm. the first or second time I'm able to do it. Because I'm not one of these people who just remembers lyrics easily. Right. So that's always fun too. Like when I mastered most of the Hamilton soundtrack, I was like flying high for a whole day or two. You get an award or a holiday (laughs) or something. Exactly. But in general, dopamine influences your moods and feelings of reward and motivation. So that's your little synopsis for dopamine. Mm -hmm. Next, we have uh, oxytocin. How many times have I told you recently that the hardest part of quarantine was the lack of touch? About 100,000. Today, yeah. (laughs) In my notes, I have cue the song, touch a touch a touch me. Yes, I want to feel dirty. (laughs) Because that's how I felt through all of quarantine. Like, the hardest part was the lack of touch. And the reason is I was lacking oxytocin. Mm. So this is called the hugging drug or the cuddle hormone. Oh, so we need this on standby for you. At all times, if you could. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's released by physical contact with others. It's the feeling behind love, friendship, and deep trust. Oxytocin is the reason that we are social animals. Oxytocin levels have been shown to be higher in people who have been in romantic relationships for at least three months, more so so than those who are single. 
which feels natural because the first three months should be pretty happy. Mm-hmm. Which So that totally tracks. But the specific chemical, if you measure across people who have been in relationships for three months, those with the highest levels are more likely to stay in the relationship for six months or more after that. Mm-hmm. So... There's not just you have to experience some oxytocin. It has to be a high enough level, you know, for you to really experience that level of joy and want to continue in that relationship, Mm -hmm. which makes sense and is pretty, Mm -hmm. you know, predictable, I suppose. This is what motivates us to build and sustain relationships and not just with, with humans. A number of research studies show that when animals and humans interact in positive ways, that they both get a surge of oxytocin. So in 2015, a study called Oxytocin Gaze Positive Loop and the Co-Evolution of Human-Dog Bonds was the first to demonstrate oxytocin's cross-species effects. It was all about making and sustaining eye contact with animals, specifically dogs. And um, normally, like when you make eye contact with a dog you don't know, the dog will perceive you to be threatening. However, what this research proved was that if you have a bond with an animal and you're making eye contact, um, that you both get these heightened levels of this hugging hormone. Oh, Obi feels it too? Yeah. (gasps) Obi and Dolly both feel it and Leo and Ollie. Oh, I love that. I know. It makes me so happy. I have you heard about like when cats slow blink at you yes, and what yeah. that's like a hug sort of yeah that's exactly what it is is <gasps> high levels of oxytocin and they just want to come and cuddle on you and it makes you feel good and it makes them feel good oh god i love animals i know how fucking cool is that <laughs> Um, I love how it's like, I just, I just feel like my, I feel so validated knowing <laughs> that my love is reciprocated. Yeah. Well, and I think it's also why like my cats are especially cuddly mm-hmm. and they just want to be on top of me at all times. Yeah. And it's sometimes I think it's that they sense when I'm feeling anxious, mm-hmm. especially Leo will just come and like touch me in some way or like sit on my lap or something. But it could also be that he is, you know, needing some hugging hormone for himself. Sure. So I'm here for all of it. When you're lacking oxytocin, you may feel lonely, stressed, have low energy or fatigue, feel disconnected from your relationships, be anxious, or experience insomnia. Mm. So number one, get a weighted blanket if you're single and live alone. Or just, generally speaking, get a weighted blanket. They are fucking game changers. <laughs> Coming in hot. Weighted blanket. <laughs> Number two, I think we also need to pri- er, uh, normalize platonic touch and friendships, which, like, positive social interactions in general tend to be the best way to increase the output of this hormone. Part of that is difficult for someone like me with social anxiety, but the opportunity to even just work with others, share a meal, open up emotionally, give Mm -hmm. long hugs, hold hands. It's really good for you. Like connecting with anybody in that way is really good for you. And it's good for your brain. Also, if you have a socially anxious friend, maybe follow up with them afterwards and just, you know, reinforce that you had a good time too. (laughs) Uh, Because they're going to overthink that shit like crazy crazy for a long ass time. Oxytocin can help fight stress improve relationships, and promote lasting positive emotions. There's even some evidence to suggest that oxytocin can assist in physical healing. Mm. So have you heard like if a cat sits on you and purrs that it's supposed to help with healing? Have you heard that before? Mm, I don't think so. Like it just, their purr is like at some type of wavelength that is healing? Yeah. Huh. Um, I think it also has something to do with oxytocin and just feeling connected to somebody or something. Well, that's why they bring like animals into hospitals and nursing homes. And yeah, it's all about those happy hugging brain chemicals. We love their connection. Yeah. Service animals. Oh, emotional support animals. Yes. Emotional. Is that you don't say service animals? Well, service animals are for like people with disabilities who if you're blind, you might have a service dog. Oh, gotcha. gotcha, Or like a seeing eye dog. I dog would be a service dog. Mm-hmm. Um, and emotional support animals would fall under service animals. Gotcha. But they are, I think, two separate categories. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. All of the above. All of the above. Let's talk about serotonin. Let's do it. I Sarah like who? Serotonin. 
I feel burlesque like, name. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a great burlesque mm-hmm. name, serotonin. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems to me that serotonin is the hormone that most people associate with happiness, which yeah. kind of makes sense. It also is the one that's most frequently used kind of interchangeably with any other hormone or happy chemical in your brain, um, even though that's not accurate. So mm-hmm. it is its own separate thing. Um, it's the big brother to dopamine and the first cousin to oxytocin. Shit. What the fuck does that mean? That means that it's the happy chemical you experience when you achieve a big goal and feel significant and important to your peers. Oh, okay. So this is, you've been working on something really hard for a very long time. Uh, For me, in my job specifically, like the little wins, the little dopamine hits are something I might get every day. The serotonin comes when an adoption is finalized. Sure, absolutely. Um, Or like for this podcast, you and I, when we start thinking about the little steps along the way and then check our numbers or whatever, those are the little dopamine hits. Mm -hmm. When we have a new episode that goes out, we might experience a little burst of serotonin. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, oh yeah. Um, Serotonin impacts feelings of pride, loyalty, and status. It's the feeling that we get when we accomplish something huge and receive recognition. This is the key hormone that stabilizes your mood. Um, helps with feelings of well-being and happiness and reduces anxiety. So we want to live in like serotonin happy places. Mm-hmm. That's the goal. It enables your brain cells and your nervous system to communicate with each other, which is really interesting too. It's like a little hug. It's like a warm mental brain robe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and a warm mental brain same- robe. Yeah, much in the same way that oxytocin is, which is why they're first cousins. Mm-hmm. Gotcha, gotcha. Because there, there is a correlation between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right. It just, it's that sense of you finally gotten to the top of the mountain. It's the most glorious view you've ever seen. It's the accomplishment. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm trying to think of the last time I felt a sense of accomplishment. Oh. Is that sad? I have to think about it? No, I think that that's really relatable. And I think it's something that, especially over 2020, not a lot of us had a lot of serotonin going around. It's true. Like, a lot of stagnant. We stayed home. Mm-hmm. We didn't do fun things. We haven't, you know, felt like we accomplished much. Yeah. So I think it and makes sense. And that's okay. Let's sense. live with yeah. that. We can live in this place and just recognize that that might be something you need. Yeah. So if you've been experiencing more depression or anxiety, uh, think about the last time you feel like you accomplished something mm-hmm. or ways that you could, you know, factor uh, little steps to get you to a big goal soon mm-hmm. so that when you do achieve it, you feel really good. So what what's the happy hormones associated with anticipation and excitement? Um, I think that that would probably be endorphins, which we're going to get to. Okay, I'm ready. Um, and also maybe dopamine. Okay. But I think it also depends on the context. Like, because these are all different chemicals in your brain. They all have different structures. Um, Are you excited for the opportunity to connect with someone? Or are you excited and looking forward to, you know, a big promotion at work? I'm thinking, okay, so, you know, when you're, like, first dating somebody and, like, there's the anticipation of the physical touch. So, like... That's like a combination of the anticipation and the dopamine, like I anticipating would, the dopamine. So are those two separate chemicals? I would put that with the oxytocin. Oxytocin, that's right. Yeah, meant. because okay. you're that's a deep relationship. You're connecting to somebody. Mm-hmm. You're building a relationship. Like that's a really great feeling. Those are the happy, like the new relationship butterflies mm-hmm. are the oxytocin oxytocin butter me up baby but it's the same thing as like when you get a hug i mean it's really the same chemical it's just how much is being flooded into your system at a time right and what other happy chemicals might also be in your system right so oxycontin (laughs) so back to serotonin serotonin helps build social dynamics um it's also what motivates a leader to excel so if you're, you know, doing really well in your job, you're moving up in your job, then you're getting big hits of serotonin. It also compels uh, followers to do well and not let other people down. So mm-hmm. it's 
very much about connecting with people. It's also very much about mutual success. Okay. One thing I learned in my research today was about um, serotonin syndrome. So apparently, this is what happens when serotonin accumulates in your body, either because you're taking medications or just your body, for whatever reason, is boosting serotonin production. Serotonin is needed in your body and brain for it to function, but can cause physical symptoms such as shivering, diarrhea, muscle rigidity, fever, seizures, and even death if you have too much serotonin. Whoa. Usually from medications. Oh, okay. Yeah. Huh. Um, So this can typically happen when you increase the dose of certain medications or add a new drug to your medication regimen. Okay. um, Which is why it's really important to not self-medicate and to uh, see a doctor or psychiatrist Mm -hmm. uh, for your to to do the happy pill thing, Mm -hmm. which total support of just do it safely. Naturally, too little serotonin can lead to depression. Serotonin is found also in your stomach and intestines and can help control, you know, your digestive system and functioning. The serotonin made in your gut is structurally the same as serotonin made in your brain. They're just localized in different places and made by different cells. And I really don't have any idea why (laughs) this is the case, but I think it makes an interesting argument for the mind and body connection. Yeah. Like if your body is physically healthy and your gut is making serotonin and your brain is making serotonin, Mm -hmm. then you have, you know, you're getting all of the serotonin that you need. I I equate it to like feeling um, a sense of happiness, like consuming food. Tell me more about that. Just like the the chemicals, like the taste, the texture, the... Oh, yeah. All that stuff, it goes with mind and gut. Absolutely. And I think that there's a mindfulness practice to that, too. Like, when you're conscious about what you're eating, then you're able to enjoy it more. And you're not just, you know, feeding your body because it needs to be fed. Right. Enjoy it, honey. Enjoy it. Other ways to increase serotonin levels are exercise, cold showers, sunlight, and massages. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I just wanted to throw it out there. Our very last one is endorphins. Endorphins are, like, for a runner's high, it's the reason that we know that Brooke Taylor Wyndham did not shoot her husband, Mm -hmm. and she was, in fact, getting liposuction. Mm -hmm. Endorphins create a sense of euphoria, often to mask physical pain. It's the brain's response to pain and stress that briefly alleviates anxiety and depression. They help our bodies respond and push past their comfort levels and persist. If you are taking like a freezing cold shower first thing in the morning, your brain will give you a huge dose of endorphins. If you can stand a minute or two of physical discomfort, then your brain rewards you. Our friend and original podcast without an audiencer, uh, the geologist does this for fun. He swims in cold water. Like, I can't. I know. But he fucking loves it. And it makes so much sense when you think about the impact on the body and brain and just how many endorphins you experience after swimming in cold water for mm-hmm. even just a few minutes. It's also argued that deep belly laughs will cause you to experience endorphins because oh. laughing until it literally hurts is euphoric. They also do a really deep belly laugh. So like... Yeah. I bet they're just experiencing all the endorphins all the so time. So many endorphins. Jeez. I mean, how awesome would it be to live in a place of feeling endorphins and euphoria (laughs) so frequently i don't know that i could keep it up or keep up in terms of energy but it would be great for a little while at least it's too cold for me (laughs) endorphins feel a little different than the first three but the reason that exercise is often suggested to help with stress or like starting a gym routine can help you relax after work is because the predictability of of endorphins is what makes them especially useful So the first three were pretty well connected, like dopamine, oxytocin, and serotonin. All three kind of work together. They build on each other. Um, Endorphins are different, but they're the most predictable. Like if you do this, you will, in fact, experience endorphins. Mm. Which is interesting because it's it's the hardest to feel motivated to do. Like exercising Mm -hmm. or, you know, doing something that might hurt in the short term, but will also, you know give you a little happy push in the long term yeah it's definitely hard and i think it's also hard because it is a body's response to 
pain and discomfort. Mm -hmm. You could even do, like, you can get endorphins from laughing and crying or eating spicy foods, stretching and exercising, but also eating dark chocolate, Mm -hmm. which does not sound like it should cause endorphins, but apparently it does. Mm. So if you want endorphins without the pain and discomfort, go have some dark chocolate. What about sexy time? Okay, so sexy time falls under uh, oxytocin. Okay. and You just breezed right over it. I'm so sorry. I meant to... I read a lot about sexy time and oxytocin, and I was like, distracted. You're like, it'll come up naturally (laughs) in conversation with Allison. (laughs) It absolutely will. So one of the interesting things about oxytocin is that it's one of the few hormones that has been studied almost exclusively on women. So we don't know much about how oxytocin impacts men, but we have a lot of good research about women. Okay, cool. So it's the sexy time hormone. It's also very similar to the hormone that allows you to bond with an infant. Okay. Um, And I think it's about touch and connection with, you know, another soul. Mm -hmm. Well, that's skin-to-skin contact with newborns, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's also, you know, I don't want to now go back to sexy time with your partner but it's the same reason that your brain likes that so much Mm -hmm. so yeah Mm. that's oxytocin occasionally it could also be endorphins uh especially if you engage in some fun hanging from the ceiling kink play (laughs) kinky sexy bdsm time (laughs) get into it you could experience multiple happy hormones all at the same time right which i think is just the perfect storm of good yeah. brain activity. I mean, that's that's why it's appealing. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think you're right. I think that the more happy chemicals that you can experience at a time with a given activity, like you also get some dopamine from that, right? Mm-hmm. And um I don't know about serotonin, but you've got three out of the four, to be sure. Sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> So, in conclusion, dopamine is a habit former. Oxytocin is the love hormone. Serotonin is the leadership hormone. And endorphins are a natural painkiller. So, knowing about each of these, recognizing what your body needs or is experiencing is a great practice in self-awareness. And it can also help you be more productive and help you achieve long-term happiness Mm. while enjoying the little everyday moments. Oh, I love that. I'm in I su- I'm literally in such a better mood I was than I started. <laughs> and you, I wasn't in a particularly bad mood. I think I was just a little bit like Well, I, I so know. you were a little quieter while I was talking and I kept looking over at you to see if you were, you know, just not interested. But you were smiling the <laughs> whole time. I was absorbing you the information like, for the quiz at the end, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> that I just gave you all of the answers to. Right. But Um, Talking about happiness is just really fun and comforting, I think. I think so, too. I love it. Kind of dissecting what comes from what. I mean, talk about sexy time. I mean, we can talk about sexy time off air, too. We should do a sex-specific episode. Ooh. I would love that. We can absolutely do that. Um, I mean, obviously, we're a very sex-positive podcast. Oh, absolutely. We'll just have to put out a little disclaimer and make sure that, you know, a few key people don't listen to that episode. Oh, I see. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. But everybody else, I hope you really enjoy our future (laughs) sex positive As long as you didn't birth us, you can listen. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, But no, you're right. That would be really interesting to just find out more from a psychology perspective perspective that would be so fun Ooh, we should do a book report on tipping the velvet in terms of like the history of lesbian sex okay yep because they do the whole thing in part two you with don't the, remember with the thing with the thing mm-hmm. uh-huh. the leather thing uh-huh yep okay <laughs> i don't know it'd be fun uh, the evolution of dildo <laughs> <laughs> That would fall under history. <laughs> I mean, yes, but I can come up with something for oh, psychology. Yeah. You'll make it work. <laughs> You're now beat red. <laughs> I blush easily. I'm the whitest person that ever existed on this planet. I mean, you sunburn while driving in the car. So. Oh, my God. I know. Does anybody else keep sunscreen in their car for, like, their chest? Like, my, <laughs> like my neck and chest get so sunburned. I'm afraid I'm going to have, like, the wrinkles. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Also, uh... 
I lost my train of thought. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally get it. <laughs> okay, so are you ready for my topic? <laughs> no, <laughs> not in the way you said that. Okay. We're on the, a happy little chemical high. Let's, okay. What, are, what have you got? I have a story for you. All right, so I am going to be covering Mary Catherine Letourneau, who you might not be familiar with, but I think once you hear her story, I think it's going to become a little bit more familiar because it's a story that was in the media a lot as we were growing up. Oh. Okay. Yeah, the name doesn't sound familiar at all. All right, so Mary Catherine Schmitz which is her maiden name, was born in 1962 in Tustin, California. Her parents were John Smits and Mary E. Shore. Her parents gave her the nickname Mary Kay, um, and that's how we're going to refer to her for the majority of, of the narrative here. So she was the fourth of seven children. So a lot of babies. Middle, middle child. Um, and her father was like a relatively successful politician. So he was a senator in California mm-hmm. and he was a U.S. congressman. He had plans to run for uh, to be president. However, um, his image was tainted after it was revealed that he fathered two children with a woman other than his wife, who was a former student at Santa Ana College where he taught political science. So a little family drama. You know, that would not have stopped people from necessarily voting for him, as we have learned from (laughs) a previous presidential election. (laughs) So, we're going to cross that bridge. Her brother, John Smits, was a deputy counsel to George W. Oh. Her other brother, Joseph, was uh, inspector general under W. And then went on to become a senior executive with Academy. And was a foreign policy uh, advisor to Donald J. Trump. Oh, good. So we were right on track. Yep. You nailed it. Mary Kay attended Arizona (laughs) (laughs) State University. And while she was there, she met and married Steve Letourneau. They had four children together. Um, It was later stated that Mary was not actually in love with him. Okay. And that she married Steve... Because she felt pressure from her parents, which I do think happens. Oh, definitely absolutely. Happens. Yeah. Um, the couple moved to Anchorage, Alaska, and then to Seattle, Washington. And she graduated from Seattle University in 1989 with a teaching degree. Good for her. Yes. So she started her teaching career teaching the second grade at Shorewood Elementary School in a suburb of Seattle uh, called Buren. Um, during that time, her marriage with Steve kind of went on the decline. They both had affairs. Um, and Mary Kay, um, her future lawyer, would claim that she was, quote, emotionally and physically abused by her husband and twice went to the hospital for treatment where the police were called. So Mary had a student named Vili Falau, And Vili met Miss... Letourneau when he was in her second grade class and then Mary then uh, moved up to the sixth grade so then he kind of met her and was also in her sixth grade class when Mary was 34 years old in the summer of 1996 her relationship with the student who was 12 to 13 took a turn no 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 no. yeah (laughs) what yes 12 or 13 and she was 34 34 no ugh yeah, girl. Girl, I covered happy chemicals. <laughs> I know. I'm so sorry. This is the opposite. <laughs> I know. Oh. Okay. So on June 18th, 1996, Mary's car was parked by a marina. Um, there was reports of that the car was like drunk driving or it was basically somebody was like, this looks weird. Police approach the car and Mary uh, is seen jumping from the back seat into the front seat while Billy pretends to sleep in the back. Um, when questioned, they both provided false names. So, Villy also gave a false age of 18, and Mary stated that no touching had taken place, nothing weird was going on. She was like, look, I'm, I'm uh, his teacher, his mom knows that she's with me, he's with me, which he, she did, his mom mm-hmm. knew. 
she made up like a whole story about how her and her husband had like argued and that she was not going to look for him and that Billy was, you know, assisting in that. Um, they were taken to the police station. Um, and of course they called Billy's mother and she was like, no, like that's his teacher. Like he's supposed to be with her. And the police didn't disclose certain information to her. Um, and later she said basically like, wait, how, like even without all the relevant information, mm -hmm. how could a mom or why would his mom have said like, it's okay that they were out parked by the Marina. Right. I mean, I these know. are just weird times, maybe? I don't have the answer. My red flags would have gone off, I think. Yeah. I may also just be more skeptical of people. Well, and she did say, like I was like I was saying, she did say that, like, if she knew the whole story about, like, oh, she absolutely. was in the backseat, she might not have done what she did, which was be like, well, send the kid home with the teacher because I'm, you know, she could have been working or whatever, yeah. but she's yeah. like, so nothing happened. There was no... No repercussions. No repercussions. Um, but at this point, a rumor did start spreading around the community. Um, and it wasn't until March 4th, 1997, that Mary was arrested after a family member tipped off the police to the relationship that was happening with them. So it was confirmed. The town was kind of like buzzing, like they knew that there was a relationship with a student happening. And then they found out it was her. Um, and she was charged with two counts of second degree child rape. While she was awaiting sentencing, she discovered she's pregnant. No. Oh, uh-uh. This just gets worse. Girl, this shit is wild. I am so traumatized by yeah. this. So she gave birth to a daughter uh, May 29th, 1997. Um, and at this point, the state is seeking six and a half years in prison However, there was a plea agreement, um, and her sentencing was reduced to six months. She was also required to do three years of uh, sex offender counseling, uh, but she was not required at that time to register as a sex offender, which is wild. So like, much she's of this having is wild. his baby. Like, yeah. What more concrete evidence do you need? Also, in some states, she could have been arrested and spent more time in jail for aborting the fetus than she actually spent for sexually assaulting wow. this kid. Way to put that in perspective. That's crazy. Right? I just, I can't... I mean, we talk so much about male predators that hearing about a female who was then, like, given a lesser charge, it all just makes my skin crawl. Yeah. And that's... We're definitely going to cross that bridge because okay. that was a concern that I had as well. So part of her plea deal was that she wasn't allowed to contact Deville or any of her children or have any contact with a minor at all. Good. Right? Bare minimum there. Okay. You're making a face. <laughs> Don't make a face. On February 3rd, 1998, two weeks after completing her jail sentence, Mary is found by police in a parked car with Aville. Again, they provided false names to police. She is then arrested, and inside the car, they find $6,200 in cash, baby clothes, and her passport. Later that month, the judge revoked the prior plea agreement and reinstated her prison sentence and increased it by one year for violating the no-contact order. So guess what? She breaks it. She breaks the deal again. She's pregnant again. Ew, that's worse. Yeah. She's pregnant again. And she gives birth to their second daughter on October 16th, 1998. The same year, the couple publishes a book in France called, quote, Only One Crime, comma, Love. And in 1999... Are they French? No, I think that was probably the, the only place <laughs> they could get published. I don't know. Okay. Are they French? <laughs> um, I'm sorry, I thought you had mentioned, like, <laughs> no. Washington. Yeah, this is U.S., in 1999, a second book is published called, quote, If Loving You is Wrong. Which it is. Super wrong. I'm so sorry. I don't think you read out the full title. <laughs> <laughs> Love is Wrong, which it is. Right. <laughs> That's the sequel. <laughs> um, during this time, Billy drops out of high school because he's a high school father of two with a 40 year old partner wife. in prison. Yep. Um, and his mother was granted custody of the children. 
It is said that Villy struggled with his mental health, suffered from depression, alcoholism, and even attempted to end his life in March of 1999. In 2002, Villy's parents sued the Highline School District in the city for emotional suffering, um, lost wages, and the cost of raising the two children. Um, there was a 10-week trial. However, no damages were awarded to the family. How is that possible? I don't know. <sighs> okay. I hate this. Continue. Yep. <laughs> Mary was released from prison in August of 2004. She was required to register as a level two sex offender. And just a quick sex offender 101. Uh, level one is where you're at the least risk of repeat offending Two is overall danger posed to the public, like you are at risk potentially. Mm -hmm. And level three is risk of repeat offense is pretty high. So Villy was now 21 years old and he advocated to the courts to lift the no contact order against Mary. Mary and Villy were married on May 20th, 2005. And he was 21 at this point. Mm Mm-hmm. And the wedding was covered by Entertainment Tonight. <laughs> uh, the reality show that none of us want to have happened. <laughs> it's a channel, right? Or is it a show? I have no oh, idea. Oh, it's on E. Yeah, it's a yeah. channel, right? Show? Something? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Regardless, this would be the reality show that none of us want to have happen. Right. Would totally Except- watch, but <laughs> would not want to happen. Uh, is this... Did you look this up because I mentioned something about Glee a few episodes ago? And the Hot for Teacher? Yeah. Yeah, inappropriate. Yeah, that's so when I do my notes, I think about what inspires me, and that <laughs> had caught my eye, not in a weird way, but like that's what caught my eye. And I was like, oh, you know, because I, I, re- I remember this case. I don't. You I don't? have no recollection of this. Ugh. So I'm newly traumatized. Yeah, it's wild. Quote Attorney Ann Brenner, who met and befriended. Mary, in 2002, during Volley civil suit, said that Mary so considered uh, her relationship with V to be, quote, eternal and endless. According to Bremner, quote, nothing could have kept the two apart. And in 2006 interview with NBC News, Mary conceded that she knew it was wrong to let the relationship go on, on any further. But she says that as soon as the school year ended, she and Villy did cross that line. She said that it, quote, did not cross her mind, end quote, at the time that having sex with Volley would be a crime. Oh, no? That's a convenient thing to have not cross your mind. Sure. Um, And uh, in a later interview, she stated that, quote, if someone had told me if anyone had told me there is a specific law that says this is a crime, I didn't know. I've said this over and over again. Had I known if somebody knows me personally, just the idea this would count as a crime. What? It's kind of a strange you consciousness You slept quote. with a 12 to 13 year old. Yes. Absolutely. You don't need to have a rule that says that this is wrong for someone to realize that 20 or more years between you and your, you know, prepubescent partner is yeah. fucking wrong. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's wild. Um, on May 9th, two thousand seventeen, after almost twelve years of marriage, Villy filed for separation, but later withdrew the filing. Um, as of April two thousand eighteen, Villy was working um, at a home improvement store and as a professional DJ, and Mary was working as a legal assistant. Um, An article in People quoted an insider source who said, quote, they know what everyone thinks about their relationship and they don't care. They really never have. The wrong stuff that happened was so long ago. They are two grown adults who are living their lives now. End quote. She's working as a legal assistant? Mm Mm-hmm. That's what she was working at. Isn't that a little... (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead. Sorry. The couple finalized a legal separation in August of 2019. Um, earlier in the marriage, Villy said that he was not a victim and that he was, you know, a, a part of an equal partner in the relationship. But according to People in May 2020, an unnamed source that was close to 
to him said that, quote, he sees things clearly now and realizes that it wasn't a healthy relationship from the start. Well, thank the God someone figured it out. Well, and what I want to do before we continue on to the rest of it is I have a clip from an interview that is an interview between the two of them as adults. Oh, okay. Um, And I want to get your opinion on... um, What they said? What they say. Yeah. Because... To me, it's super squirmy and icky. Oh, good. So just to set the scene, the um, so this is a quote, um, an interview with Seven News Spotlight. Uh, it's an Australian news anchor, news company, mm-hmm. news station. Station? Source? Outlet? Source? Um, so he's asked her about, you know, her four other children because she had four other children. Yeah. Um, before she started this, quote, relationship. What about your children, Mary? It must have been unimaginably tough on them. That's why I asked him to get go get away from us. <laughs> go and do your thing. But that's I making said, it seem like Villy was relentlessly pursuing you. You were the adult. You can say that. I am saying that. I was by age. I was by age. And Let's by maturity. Ah, uh, you maybe. You were a teacher, Mary. You can't say I was immature. But you don't know him. No, but I don't need to know him in this discussion. He's the child. I'm talking about you. Who was the boss? Who was the boss? What? Who was the boss back then? You know, there was me pursuing you. Who was the boss back then? (laughs) This is ridiculous. No, who was? Who was? Just say. Just say. Who was the boss? Well, I knew it was what I knew back then. But who was the boss? He was 13, Mary. But who was the boss? This is getting weird. Who was the boss? Who? In pursuing the relationship. Who was the boss? Well, I was the pursuer. Yes. Mary, even as you're hearing this now, come on, he was 13. It doesn't matter. It absolutely matters. Oh, well, flaw me. (sighs) Flaw me as as an... uh, as an adult? Um, yes, flaw me. I did the yeah. best I could. I mean... Flaw me. Character flaw. Ooh. That's the creepiest, ickiest thing I've ever... No, not ever heard. Close. Yeah. Top five. It's it's terrible. So the body language that's going on during this kind of interaction is that, you know, he's sitting next to her and she's repeatedly asking him to take ownership for being the pursuer in the relationship. And she's taking no ownership whatsoever for even being older than him. She's like, well, in some ways. Right, exactly. And um, earlier in the interview, she also does something similar, like super gaslighty, just kind of like... Well, in his reaction, like he doesn't show much of a response, but he's also, he says like this is strange or bizarre whatever word he used Mm -hmm. so i'm wondering if this is not what she's like but it felt very much like she groomed him to give appropriate answers and i mean we know all about how predators groom children um and it's interesting to see that dynamic continue to play out even into adulthood and after having been together for this long well and to me it seemed like you know he wasn't giving her the answer that she wanted so, you know, she was impatient with him. Yeah. You know, she's like, you know, this is your, I mean, it's victim blaming. You oh, know, absolutely. There was um, one article I read that said something like, you know, this is the longest and most, you know, it's, it's child abuse that just continues and continues because yeah, ultimately, you know, your partner is your abuser and just the, the, the amount of layers that it. And the amount of trauma. The amount of trauma. And I'm, I'm going to, I'm not quite done because I'm going to touch on some of the other things that you had brought up. Um, and then we can kind of unpack everything. Um, Mary died at the age of 58 from colon cancer on July 6, 2020. Villy and her family were by her side and um, like when she passed. And in her will, she left the majority of her estate to Villy. Um. And lastly, I want to discuss something that I discovered in my research and also you brought up was that the language used for male and female teacher-student relationships was very different. Mm -hmm. And so is the sentencing. Yeah. 
So I found an article in the Journal of Social Psychology that is the reverse double standard in perceptions of student-teachers' sexual relationships, the role of gender, initiation, and power. And this is a quote from that article. Quote, in a recent case in New Jersey, a 43-year-old female teacher named Pamela Dial Moore was convicted of having an inappropriate relationship with a 13-year-old male student. Although her behavior is qualified as statutory rape in the state of New Jersey, punishable by 5 to 10 years in prison, Dally Moore received a sentence, a sentence of only 5 years probation for her actions. In this case, the judge justified his ruling by stating that, quote, I really don't see the harm that was done here, and certainly society doesn't need to be worried, end quote. In his words, the student was simply, quote, satisfying his sexual needs, end quote, and therefore the judge failed to find anything that, quote, showed that this young man had been psychologically damaged by Delimore's actions, end quote. By contrast, James Darden, a 36-year-old male teacher in New Jersey, was given eight and a half years in prison with lifelong parole for having an inappropriate relationship with a 13-year-old female student. Moreover, Darden was required to register as a sex offender, to surrender his teaching license, and had all employment in the public sector revoked. Following the pronouncement of Darden's sentence, the president's judge said to Darden, quote, you realize what you have done to this child? You have made her a woman well before her time in a very inappropriate way, end quote. Although these cases were similar in many respects, the vast discrepancy between the sentence received by Deli Moore and Darden suggests that gender may have played a role in how these cases were perceived. From the standpoint of the presiding judges, a young male student was, quote, satisfying his sexual needs, whereas, whereas a young female student was, quote, violated in a very inappropriate way. The contradictory perspectives of these two judges suggest that the existence of a double standard in which a person's behavior is interpreted directly as a function of that person's gender, end quote. This is troubling and concerning. Also, not just from the perspective of how we treat young people based on their gender, um, like the giving a boy a pat on the back when he, you know, loses his virginity versus shaming young females, but also... I think it is indicative of a bigger issue within our society where we don't want to talk about how women can be abusive, which is, I think, one of the reasons that sexism and even uh, feminism sometimes fail. Well, sexism frequently fails. Feminism <laughs> also fails in that we don't recognize that it's not always a male aggressor and a female victim or survivor. Mm -hmm. Like women can abuse other women males can abuse other men non-binary persons fit in here as well like it's it's about the experience and not about the gender mm -hmm. and the moment that you factor in gender you are uh victim shaming you are you know taking the responsibility away from the person who is actually perpetuating harm mm -hmm. it's all just really painful to hear about yeah yeah. I've also been reading a little bit about like violence against women being a phrase that's used more than male violence because mm. it takes away the person who's perpetuating the crime. Mm -hmm. So it's not, you know, the girl who was raped. It's not about the male rapist. Right. Or the person who was a rapist. Mm -hmm. And I think that just the language that we use, to your point, is so important. And when we are, you know, putting the emphasis on the person who experienced harm and not the person who caused harm, then we're continuing to not see the bigger, the bigger issue. Mm -hmm. Like, we're continuing to gloss over it and just say, well, you know, she shouldn't have worn such a short skirt. Or, you know, right. she shouldn't have let herself have shouldn't have let this happen right um which is kind of a sentiment that i heard in that interview was mm -hmm. she was trying to make it seem like she was the victim because he was the pursuing seducer. her yeah 
so icky and I feel so terrible for him and their children just knowing that you know he has so much work to do within Mm -hmm. himself to normalize relationships and discover heal figure out what healthy relationships look like and to figure out how to you know live with himself and and without her because she's passed and and codependency was oh, most likely yeah. i mean good i mean yeah all of his life was reporting to her well and she died at 58 ish mm-hmm. um and he's 20 years younger than her mm-hmm. so he's now still got the majority theoretically the majority of his life mm-hmm. and has only ever had one relationship yeah and it was a really unhealthy relationship absolutely absolutely so i th- suppose we're supposed to talk about intersections Mm -hmm. i don't want to i need i need some happy chemicals okay (laughs) i can give you a hug after this so so yeah but yeah i think um you know again part of history is not i mean history is not pretty history is it's just the facts about things that have happened around us and this was one of them and it's not all that uncommon like the majority of the the these types of incidences that I read about were around a very similar time period. Mm-hmm. And these are not the first and they, and they unfortunately won't be the last. Yeah. Um, I mean, but, this shit still happens every day mm-hmm. all over the world. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think the one thing that we can do is continue to talk about the ways in which we tell these stories and uh, the language that we use around them and, you know, acknowledging that, We've got to change those narratives in order to actually create change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know that there's a tie-in with Happy Chemicals. No. <laughs> I don't Other want than- there to be. <laughs> you and I can go and do something later that gives us a little hit of dopamine to recover from this. Mm-hmm. Engage the hugging hormone. I would love the hugging hormone. We can have a hug. Okay. Let's do that. All right, friends. We need... Going back to our Glee reference from earlier, highly problematic that it wasn't Finn. What's his name? Puck. Yeah. Puck and Alphaba have a... (laughs) Puck and Alphaba. Have a little love thing going on. He was in high school. Mm -hmm. He was like a second year senior, I think. Still. Still. Wrong and icky. Did you Uh, see... Hot for Teacher is not a song that should have ever been written. And I'm sorry that it inspired this topic. (laughs) Did you see um, the the show uh, A Teacher that just came out? I did not. Okay, so it's about a student-teacher relationship, and you see, so he's he's in high school, he's a senior in high school, and he has a relationship with his which is with his teacher, and she's obviously very much clearly in charge, and you don't see how he is affected until the very last episode because literally he's just like pushing out down the feelings and then they have a face-to-face meeting and she is basically like looking for forgiveness from him this is spoiler if you haven't seen it sorry you know and he's like no like fuck you like you yeah ruined my life essentially yeah yeah, yeah. you know and she's so far removed from it she's so far she's you know made her peace with what she's done she Um, has no awareness of how she's impacted others right exactly so um but that you know that's probably the most recent um you know media based thing that i've seen related to this particular topic but don't love that either yep don't love any of it at all. Boo, boo, boo. All right, you guys. <laughs> Ending on a, on a note here. A real Thanks downer. Thanks for sticking with us. Um, I don't even know. Thank you guys so much for <laughs> appreciating what we do every week. It sometimes ends up being a little darker than you might imagine. But hey. I mean, it's important to talk about. And we are here to talk about it and who would have thought on a psychology and history podcast that things would ever be hard or difficult to talk about right Mm. i mean we did pick two of the most uplifting topics to talk about each week well you talked about happy shit i did but this might be the first time i've talked about really happy shit that's true that's true 
Thank you guys so much for hanging in there. And thank you guys so much for listening. If you support us, blink twice. And if you're out there, keep listening. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to Podcast Without an Audience. Find us on social media at pod without an odd. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook. Or find us on the web at podcastwithoutanaudience.com. Shoot us an email at podwithoutanodd at gmail.com. Our cover art is created by an actual angel, Ashley Acevedo. Our music is by Zach Smith and Ted Oliver. Editing by Jacob Beeson. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and all of our nerdy content. Please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us today. Oh, and check out our Patreon for exclusive content and our pasta recipe. Again, thanks, and keep listening. Sam, we're the hosts of the Chaos Cast, a podcast about iconic women in history. We are two college-educated women with too much useless knowledge. Join us every Tuesday as we fight the patriarchy one episode at a time. Each week, we'll be ranting about how iconic women in history have been done dirty and our variety of hyperfixations. You can find the Chaos Cast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher, or on Instagram at Chaos Podcast. We hope you enjoy the chaos.